Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. Scott, nice to meet you, man. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks so much, Ethan. This is going to be a really great experience, and I'm grateful for having me on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation, absolutely. And we always love to get it started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you are doing at the moment. Yeah, thanks so much. So uh, I am the executive director of the Colorado Youth Corps Association. So uh, we are, uh, in in essence, a trade association. We work on behalf of the eight accredited corps in Colorado. So we have uh, these really remarkable eight conservation corps that each serve a different part of Colorado. I'm sure we're going to dive into a little bit of what they do uh, during our time together today. Uh, I've been at the agency here for a decade, um, which, man, has gone really quickly. And prior to that, uh, I was uh, at the, with the U.S. Forest Service. I was a wilderness ranger and wildland firefighter at Bridger Teton National Forest, which is in the general neighborhood of Jackson Hole. Um, uh, Bridger Teton Forest is where Grand Teton National Park ends, and the uh, U.S. Forest picks up from there. So really beautiful area of the world in the Wind River Range. I have a silly question to get this conversation started. What, sure. what, hap- what happened to the P at the end of, of cor- cores? It's corpse, right? It's, 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 it's cores like, <laughs> like, like Marine Corps. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that just quirk of the English language. So C-O-R-P-S, I don't know why they call it core, but um, <laughs> we, we definitely have a lot of people that talk to us uh, about corpses. And it always sort of, you know, like, jars you a bit when they're like and you're with the corpses and they're like well no i don't don't work at a funeral home like nope just uh yeah just kind of a it's an odd word is it marine corps as well not marine yeah. corps correct yep uh, yep okay absolutely right on yeah so what i did that i did want to ask you is is like where this desire to conserve the natural world where do you think it came from what memory do you have where you're like oh i want to i want to help nature yeah that's a really good question so uh, I am I am one of the many East Coasters that came to Colorado and settled here. Welcome uh, to the team. <laughs> you were here first. You were here first. I was uh, so I was born in Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, grew up. You know, went to high school there. My folks still live there. So the first eighteen years of my life were in you know generally a urban to suburban environment. Um, Delaware has very little public land, and in fact, we were the only state without a national park service unit. Um, all the way up until uh, uh, then Vice President Biden, uh, you know, for did a favor to his home state and, and appropriately got some of our colonial history marked. But prior to that, you know, my upbringing was, was like straight out of the wonder years, right? I grew up in a suburban neighborhood um, around all, you know, middle-class white families. And so uh, I made a the very good decision to uh, go further away for college to broaden my horizons. And I went to Roanoke College, which is uh, in the beautiful Blue Ridge Valley, about a mile off the Appalachian Trail, uh, just in that gorgeous old, old mountains, old forest, old rivers. And that's Virginia. Where the, in Virginia, exactly right. And that's where the spark went off for me, right? Uh, you know, just being in these, in the gorgeous Shenandoah and Blue Ridge Valleys, uh, learning to hike the Appalachian Trail, learning to backpack, 
And, you know, when you're new to college, you're trying to, you're trying to find who you are. You're trying to make new friends. You're trying to build that comfort zone. And I found that hiking and backpacking and climbing and paddling uh, was a really great way to meet new people, make new friends, be surrounded by a really positive community. So those four years of college at, at Roanoke College for me were really transformative. That was where I learned what public land can do for people, what the environment can do for people, the peace of mind, uh, the, the mental wellness, uh, the physical conditioning, the self-esteem, the social connections, all of it, all the magic we know here in Colorado, uh, really, I did not get until I was you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, but that launched my career uh, in, in the environmental space. Awesome. Not hearing too much about the classroom, huh? What, what, were, you study, <laughs> right. what were you studying there? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was an English major. Um, cool. Yep, yep, loved it. Uh, yep, I was an English major there. I went to grad school at University of Idaho uh, oh. to continue studying English. Um, and that has actually really benefited me because now I have one foot in sort of that environmental space still, but one foot in really the sort of... Uh, Business, business communication, professional culture, world where written and verbal communication, um, you know, ha having that grounding sort of allows me to improve my work-life balance uh, and also sort of try and navigate my way through this nonprofit management, uh, learning by doing. Yeah, I mean that's how we do it, man. And so, what exactly? Uh, forgive me if you mentioned this already. What made you land in Colorado? Uh, well, no, yeah. So um, during my four years at Roanoke, uh, I really thrived in both the outdoor adventure trips uh, that the college provided, as I mentioned, and then uh, the school had a really strong service culture. Um, they do some really cool things that really help you as a college student uh, develop who you are. For example, uh, every year the college builds on campus a Habitat for Humanity house that they then put on the, you know, fully constructed, that they then put on the back uh, of a huge um, uh, uh, double-wide uh, tractor trailer and bring it to the home lot. Um, and so that sort of marriage of all of these service activities that really spoke to me, all these outdoor adventure trips that really spoke to me, so as I was leaving college, I thought, man, somehow I would love to find a way to, to bridge those two um, you know, in my career moving forward. And so I graduated in 2002. Uh, and so that spring of 2002, I got on the AmeriCorps website and I found an, an AmeriCorps National Service Opportunity through Rocky Mountain Youth Corps based in Steamboat. So they are one of the eight corps in my family now but back then I was just a 21 year old kid. And so um, I graduated college, got in my car and, and drove cross country for the, you know, cross the Mississippi for the first time uh, and arrived in Steamboat and spent the summer of 2002 building trail and working at a conservation course, swinging a tool all day. Um, we camped every day uh, from uh, middle of May through middle of October. So wow. spent about almost 200 nights consecutively out um, living in a tent. And from there, uh, you know, I, the bug bit me and, and I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I was going to say, man, that sounds like a dream. That, that, it was absolutely awesome. fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. One of those experiences that forms who you are, gives you a vision of what the future may be, 
you can be proud of the work that you're doing. It was, it was really spectacular. Yeah. And I'm sorry that I, now I have to ask you, what are the biggest issues that we're facing here in Colorado when it comes to conservation? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Colorado, uh, for as gorgeous and iconic as it is, we definitely have our share of challenges. Uh, you know, the first is water. Uh, you know, we're, of course, we're speaking here, you know, in late October, um, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a really insightful, but depressing 60 minute story on the Colorado river. Um, and it, it got, it, it was a really, you know, good, you know, 20 minute in-depth sort of 60 minute style story of how the obligations of the Colorado river are greater than it's, than it's flow that we know, like just factually that the legal rights to the Colorado river, um, that are, you know, a hundred years or older, uh, exceed what the river can do now. Um, and that's just one example of many. So water rights, water scarcity, water conservation is be, because of its fundamental building block of life, livelihood, and economy is, is probably the biggest challenge. It is followed very closely by uh, wildland fire and, and all of the forest health um, issues that we're, we're hard at work right now. You know, how do we create a future of healthy fire? not mega fires. So that's probably the second biggest issue. Um, another issue uh, I would say that's certainly prevalent um, is how do we manage the growing impact on public land, right? We have this catch 22 of where both organically and from the pandemic and the stay at home period and all of that, more people than ever know about public land, appreciate public land and are enjoying public land. And that is a wonderful, magical thing. We want engaged, knowledgeable citizens. But it is a hard truth that impact comes with that. More people hiking on the trail. Um, we're seeing you know, parking issues, transportation issues, accessibility issues, uh, sustainability issues. So we need to start to think about how do, we, how do we mitigate that, right? The hard part about that issue is we want to learn, okay, how do we manage use? How do we manage crowds? How do we manage visitor levels while being really careful that we continue to be welcoming and accessible, particularly to underrepresented communities, disinvested communities? Um, it, it can't be as simple as, well, just charge people money, right? You'll have the money to manage the land and you'll see visitor use go down. Well, that's not an equitable solution, right? There's a number of disinvested communities that you can't just go to them and say, you were uncertain about being welcome on public land to begin with, now you're gonna to have to start to pay money. So it really needs to be more of a suite of options. So those, uh, you know, Ethan, I would say those are certainly at least three of the three of the more prevalent issues in the core world. Well, well, thank you for sharing. And you mentioned there are eight separate cores in Colorado and do they each um, emphasize a different kind of task or challenge depending on, and they're all, uh, geographically located in separate areas to so do some focus on some issues more and others on others kind of thing? Yeah, exactly right. So there are, as you mentioned, right, there are eight cores and what is what largely defines them is their service region, right? This happened uh, just naturally over time that about 20, 25 years ago, uh, as cores really got started here in Colorado and, and sort of matured, uh, and as funding grew and capacity grew, their service regions started to expand, right? As they got more projects, were able to do more work, and their service regions would expand and expand until they eventually 
you know, hit up against where another core was serving. And so over time, in a thankfully, you know, really positive, really collaborative way, uh, cores sort of right-sized what their service region would be. And now we have this, this sort of quilt of eight cores serving the entirety of the state, um, each kind of knowing where their regions are. So as a byproduct of that, uh, Ethan, you're exactly right. The different cores have different considerations. So I'll give you an example. You know, we've got Southwest Conservation Corps, which is based out of Durango and Salida. They've got the Animus River, the Colorado River, the Arkansas River. They do a lot of invasive species removal, right? It's, it's one of their main service deliveries is to remove all of the non-native species that are, that are harming these river systems. Rocky Mountain Youth Corps, based out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, they don't have nearly the invasive species infestation in Northwest Colorado, right? The Ampa River isn't, isn't suffering nearly as much as the other rivers are. So they don't do nearly as much of that work, but they do more of fire mitigation work, more trail work. So their project portfolios are definitely influenced by the geography of where they're at. Um, what makes the Colorado kind of core community really interesting is each of the cores does have its own personality. Um, they, have, they have their own uh, programs. So for example, uh, we have our smallest core, uh, which is small but mighty, and that's Boulder County Youth Corps. They're based out of Longmont. They are a program of Boulder County uh, 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 itself. So it's a county-run core. They're using county vehicles. It's run by a county employee. It's only for Boulder County residents, only high school students, and only in the summertime. So they, they run this really great sort of niche program that you know, changes the lives of 300 Boulder County high school students a year. Um, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have Mile High Youth Corps, you know, with offices in Denver and Colorado, multi-million dollar nonprofit, um, you know, uh, engages uh, folks from 17 and a half to, you know, 28 years old, doing a whole manner, you know, 12 months a year. And all the other cores fall somewhere in between. So, you know, the good news is there is a core for you, uh, you know, out of our family, of cores, uh, you know, there's, there's at least one, if not more cores that are gonna match interested applicants, um, but they definitely all sort of differ from each other in interesting ways. Yeah, so I think we've kind of covered it, but I just wanna back up a little bit to like define, I know we mentioned that the P, but like what exactly is a core and they are they formed for specific, with like a specific mission? How is it different from like a corporation, which is like an organization of people that's created to propagate a specific mission and create profit? A, a core, on the other hand, what, what exactly is that? We've talked about conservation and, and youth, but what exactly is a core and where did this idea kind of come from to begin with? Yeah, yeah, excellent. Uh, start with the second question first. So cores have our roots in the uh, Civilian Conservation Corps um, of the 1930s and the early 1940s, right? So if we think back to the to FDR's New Deal, uh, you know, the, 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 the original CCC. So this is the group that built Red Rocks Amphitheater. Um, it's the, it's the um, yeah, the, the group that did these infrastructure projects um, through, you know, throughout the entire country in the throes of the, of the Great Depression, right? When we were at our lowest point as a country, you know, FDR started this program uh, it, as, as a federal program so that um, men, and I say that intentionally, it was only men, 
um, and largely only white men, they had a, a sort of an offensive quota for people of color. Um, so there were a few, there were a few people of color, but it was generally restricted to white males. Um, but the, the, the government started this program so that those families would literally have money to feed themselves. Uh, these men would work at camps and, and do backbreaking labor all day long just to send a dollar back home so that their families could survive in the Great Depression. So that is sort of the roots of our model, right? Is this model of doing conservation work, uh, working hard, um, you know, a, a sort of a camping model, an outdoor model, a crew-based model. What, you know, one happy difference from the original CCC, as I mentioned, is cores are much more inclusive, right? We have a, a really strong growing focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, that, you know, I'm sure we'll touch upon. So that's kind of where cores started, right? Our roots are in these conservation projects of the CCC that, you know, we're now a part of. So uh, what is a core? Uh, generally speaking, cores most commonly are nonprofits, right? So out of our family of eight cores, five of which are 501c3, which is basically a traditional nonprofit. Um, then three of the cores are county programs. Weld County, Larimer County, and Boulder County uh, are the three in which those county governments run their own conservation core. Um, and so, each core is really a reflection of the community. So they weren't necessarily started with a really narrow project portfolio. Like, like cores don't start because they're gonna do trail only or fire only. They start more from the human side where those, where those you know, the founding directors looked and said, man, the young people need more opportunities. They need opportunities to get engaged in the outdoors. They need opportunities to be employed. They need opportunities to grow into leaders. So that was really the seed that was planted, was how do we give a service-based opportunity to people in the community so that they can grow and become leaders and become strong of mind and spirit? And we matched that with this mission that Colorado needs for conservation, right? For building trail, for mitigating wildland fire, uh, for doing fencing projects to stop conflicts between agriculture and recreationists and that kind of thing. So out of that marriage, of giving people the chance to grow and, and, and inspiring young people and protecting our environment. Cores basically marry those two together in a way that uh, is sort of uh, directed by the community. Well, really cool. Well, Scott, I'm, I'm a young 24 year old man. What benefits would I get from serving in the Colorado Youth Corps? I mean, we kind of just mentioned some of them, but I just want to go on Instagram. Why, why would I want to join the, the Colorado Youth Corps? What benefit does it have to me? That's a really good question. So uh, there are a number of benefits and, and a number of ways actually to tackle that really good question. Um, so one of the really tactile material benefits of serving in a Corps is the vast majority of our members are enrolled in AmeriCorps. So AmeriCorps is a national service program. Um, it's, this is a little apples to oranges, but it is a bit like the domestic version of the Peace Corps, right? Lots of people sort of have a conception of the Peace Corps of sending Americans abroad to do service, uh, you know, sort of embody the best of our country's, you know, generous spirit. Um, AmeriCorps is the domestic version of that. It is young people, uh, performing national service. So our cores have a partnership with the AmeriCorps program. So what does that mean for young people? In a material way, it means that while you serve, your student loans are deferred. So you do not have to pay interest 
on your student loans while you're serving in AmeriCorps. And when you complete your AmeriCorps term, you earn what's called an education award. And that is a voucher that you can use towards future tuition or to reduce your existing student loans. So the first thing I would say to anyone who's planning on going to college or is dealing with student loans is AmeriCorps, and by extension, serving in a conservation corps, a really great way to like start to get out from underneath that debt. So that's a material but really important benefit from cores. I would say another benefit I would highlight is uh, if someone is interested in a career in natural resources, um, and quite frankly, cores have branched out into the healthcare industry a bit, into the construction industry, uh, into the so, um, a social worker industry. Uh, if, if someone is interested in starting a career down that path, they don't know where to begin, or they're not getting jobs because they don't have experience, or they don't even know where to search for jobs, Conservation Corps have an intentional mission to hire people that don't have a work history. We are a really great place to get that first line on your resume. And again, in a tactile way, we provide really key critical certifications that you just can't get off the street, right? You can't get without a connection or without a job. I'll give an example, Ethan. Uh, you know, we train a number of our members, fully train them and certify them as wildland firefighters. That's a certification that you just can't hardly get as a civilian. If you're not already working for an agency or you're not, you're not attached to a job, it's really challenging. Like it's, it's not easy to find a training that's just open to random people. But when you go through a conservation corps, we will train you to become a wildland firefighter. So as you graduate from the corps, you have this critical certification that is very attractive to the federal and state government around, uh, governments around the country. So that's a second really good benefit is we have the ability to really provide sort of insider, hard to get valuable, hands-on experience and certifications. And then the last piece I would say from firsthand experience is cores give our young people a really great opportunity to strongly grow as a person. When you serve in a core, um, your work ethic grows, your self-esteem grows. We provide leadership opportunities for young people to begin to lead your peers, to begin to facilitate conversations, um, to uh, you know, begin to, to, to follow through on a commitment. All of these really great personal development outcomes uh, occur so that when you graduate from a, an experience with the Conservation Corps world, you're really stronger as a person. You've had experience in having hard conversations, experiencing conflict resolution, uh, experience in leading people, inspiring people. You've you know had that 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 personal development of working up every morning, working hard all day, being really proud of what you've done, and doing that for week after week after week. And you pick your head up at the end of you know three weeks, eight weeks, twenty weeks, however long you've been with us, and you realize how much stronger you've become. So uh, it's a really transformational experience. Thank you for sharing. That was that was pretty amazing. I'm I'm conv I'm convinced, um, and I'm I'm really excited to ask you this next question because this is a topic that I particularly love. And I wanted to ask what it means to you to be a leader. Obviously, you are watching youth come up and learn these um, pivotal skills all the time. Um, what does it mean to be a leader, and why would someone want to um, spend their time serving? Yeah, really good question. Um, you know, for, for myself, I think I'm definitely still learning what being a leader is for sure, right? Like there's, there's 
not a month that goes by that I haven't had either a hard or easy lesson uh, in leadership. But I would say the uh, what I try to embody is, you know, what I found is right for me in terms of leadership is taking myself out of the center of my own story, right? Like leadership for me and trying to embody servant leadership um, is sort of taking yourself out from, from the center of the story being told and pushing that external from yourself, meaning how do I lift others up? How do I benefit others? And making that recognition that when I can empower others, when I can have others succeed, I'm, I am also going to benefit um, in the long run. Like this, this is not a zero sum game. Um, and I am not the focal point or the, the, the crux of what everything needs to revolve around. Um, and that really comes a little bit as a reflection of our mission at the association, right? To, to go back to the top of our conversation, we are a trade association. So we work on behalf of those eight cores. So our metric for success isn't how are we doing? How is CYCA doing? How am I doing? We are judged by how are these eight cores doing that we're working on behalf of. We are not the center of the story. The headline isn't, oh, CYCA raised this money. The headline is cores are now able to hire X amount of people do X amount of fire mitigation because of this money raised. So leadership for me in, in my narrow world is making sure that you are not the protagonist of your own story, that you are not the focal point. You are not the, 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 you know, the, 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 the nucleus that everything's revolving around. It's, you know, that you are, are you making sure that everyone else is orbiting in a healthy way? Um, and so, you know, that to me is, is ultimately, you know, the, the, the spirit of servant leadership I try to embody. Um, you know, and your second question is really good. Like, why would someone want to become a leader or, and in particular, why would someone want to become a servant leader? You know, uh, at least, at least superficially, and, and it probably runs deeper than this, but, you know, one of the first things that comes to mind, Ethan, is American culture has really changed in terms of the way that we see work and the role that work plays in our lives, right? When we look back at how our parents and grandparents worked, um, it was very common to have a single income family. Um, it was really common to have uh, a more 50-50 work-life balance. Um, and now you fast forward today, uh, I would say, you know, it's really common for families to have dual incomes, right? For both partners in a family to work. Um, it's really common for uh, folks to well exceed the 40 hour work week, right? To, to 50, 60, 70 hours. So why does that matter? <laughs> it's a long way around to saying that I think work is defining us more than it ever has been, right? Work is having a greater, a greater role, a more high profile role in how we think about ourselves, how others see us, how we operate in the world. You're your job, your mission, your occupation is much more of a part of our daily lives than it ever was. So my message then is, so do something you're proud of. Like understanding that what you do is going to partially define you and maybe largely define you for some folks. It's going to define a lot of your waking hours. It's going to define who your social circle is more than ever. So being a leader is 
is more of a positive element than ever. It allows you to be proud of this huge part of your life. It allows you to be proud of the community you're surrounded by. It allows you to be healthy and balanced because you're doing something you believe in. You're doing something that makes you happy. You're doing something that you can feel dignified and, 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 and sort of, you know, just, just again, to use that word, proud of what you do. So servant leadership is, is I think, more critical than ever at a time where we see work really affect so much more of our lives than 30, 40 years ago. So it, it sounds to me from your experience, you found something that just clicked and you were able to dive in and really um, clearly be able to understand the value from what you were doing because you knew in your heart is what you wanted to do. What advice would you have for someone who is not deeply connected to, to anything and is, and is looking for a way to spend their time doing something meaningful? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so two things immediately leap to mind. The first is what I tell all core members because plenty of them are still trying to find their way. Um, the first thing I tell everyone is have a plan. It doesn't matter. You can change your plan every day. You can change your plan every month, but have a plan because at a minimum, it at least gives you a North Star to base all your decisions off of, right? Like the worst scenario is to look in the mirror and say, I am utterly lost. I literally don't have any idea. So just spend some time in reflective thoughts, spend some time in your community, spend some time with your mentors and come up with your first plan. You can change it tomorrow, but at least you know, okay, this is my baseline. I think I'm gonna pursue X or pursue why. And if you change it, that's okay, but you can answer the question of what do I do next? Because if you have a plan, you just follow that down the road until you, you decide it's not for you or until, you know, until some internal or external circumstance makes you change your plan, you at least can answer the question of what next? When you don't have a plan is when you are just wandering, you know, wandering in the desert. And, and I empathize, like I empathize with people there um, but that's my, that is my first piece of advice is the minute you at least make a decision, you at least settle on some, some theoretical choice of where you think you want to go, you've achieved a huge victory, right? And then never be self-conscious about changing it, but always change it to something. Uh, so that's my first piece for folks that don't have a plan. My second piece of advice uh, would be, um, you know, to to be as adventurous and broad thinking as you possibly can. Um, I, I absolutely understand that we all have very different life circumstances and not everyone is gonna be able to take the journey I had or even the journey that you've had. Um, but uh, the broader you're thinking, the more open-minded you can be, uh, the better, right? It is a big, broad world and there are missions that are out there that you haven't been exposed to that may inflame your passions when you find them. That, you know, there, there's, there's more things than you think that'll, that'll click into place for you. You just have to find them. So uh, as you make your plan, I would be really careful about not limiting yourself or coming with any preconceived notions or bringing any bias to that. Um, just try and be broad thinking, be willing to try a little bit of everything. Um, and, and again, if you, if, you, if you know that you're at least pursuing the plan for that day, it'll help you persevere. For sure. I, I, I personally think more than just if you don't have a plan, you're wandering. 
I personally think that if you don't have a plan, you are falling subject to someone else's plan. And as an individualist myself, that idea tortures me. I would never, I'm, I very much want to be, you know, many people feel though they want to have control over their own lives. So yeah, I love that idea. And I think part of the, yeah, essential part of the plan is that the plan is going to change, man. Like you, we can't control the universe, but um, you can control, you can try to control the way you see it. And if you're just allowing someone, if you just have no idea what you're doing and you're just doing what you, you think you're supposed to be doing without any of your own autonomy, economy, um, people take advantage of that, whether they're good or bad, it, it, it does happen. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, in regards to plans, what are some of the key goals outlined in the five-year plan from the Colorado Youth Corps Association? Yeah, so we are, uh, we're in about year four uh, of our strategic plan, uh, which is both exciting, but also quite frankly, a little, a little anxiety producing. It's about time to go back to the drawing board and, yep. and dream up what the next five years will be. Perfect time to do it, I think as well. Yep. Yeah. And it's been a really successful four years to this point. So some of the main missions that we've really been, been focusing on for the last four years, the first is to increase the investment in conservation cores, right? And so we have worked really hard to try and engage new sectors uh, and, and create new connections for cores. Some really exciting things have come out of that. We've got, um, so we're, we've got a, a new pilot program that's just starting to launch in which we are gonna engage uh, justice-involved youth through the Colorado Attorney General's Office in conservation cores uh, to try and reduce recidivism, to try and change the trajectory of these young people's lives through service in the outdoors, so like that's one example of where we're trying to grow that investment and try and, and be welcoming and inclusive to all kinds of new partnerships, to rethink who is in conservation cores, who do we provide services to. Uh, similarly, along those veins, another piece of our five-year plan uh, has been to really put a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we're by no means alone in that. I mean, that, that, that DEI, the, uh, you know, as it's referred to, is, is really becoming more prevalent, I, I think, in all sectors as, as kind of the conversation about race and economic status you know, continues to gain momentum in this country. Here in Colorado, we're in that same boat. We're trying, to, we're trying to achieve the goal of having our cores reflect their communities, right? Ensuring that disinvested communities, marginalized communities, underrepresented communities have a place in the core world that we are welcoming, that they feel welcomed, that they have a strong voice, that they are becoming leaders, that they are guiding our mission, um, that we are becoming one. Um, so that's been kind of a really exciting goal. Um, and, uh, and then the third is really kind of nonprofit 101. Every nonprofit feels this. It's to ensure that CYCA becomes as sustainable as possible. And when we say sustainable, we don't mean that in this sense in terms of environmental sustainability, it is sustainability in our economic model, right? We're a 501c3 nonprofit. So um, every year, whether we keep the lights on and, and stay working depends on raising new income, uh, creating new revenue streams, uh, becoming resilient as a nonprofit. So we've spent a lot of time on trying to develop this economic sustainability where we know that we have long-term secure streams of income that will help us you know, uh, confidently plan three, five, 10 years out because we know we'll be solvent 
we know will be operational, we know will be secure. So that's been kind of a really exciting and, and stressful journey too. Yeah. Would you be willing to give me a little bit more detail about that? I'm very curious uh, how, how it works. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's different in every sector, but what it really means here in the conservation course sector um, in terms of achieving economic sustainability, probably the biggest tool we have in our toolbox is multi-year investments. So the core model, the, you know, the, the oversimplified model of conservation cores is that we work on a fee for service model. So when conservation cores send a crew out to, let's say, build, build a week of trail on U.S. Forest Service land, the U.S. Forest Service is paying us to do that work, right? We sign a contract. Uh, it's not a contract. It's not the right term. Forgive me. We sign, we sign a, an agreement where they agree to pay us X dollars for this one week of, of a crew building trail. And that work is contracted under a master agreement. And these master agreements come uh, oftentimes in a five-year package. So for example, it's trying to secure as many of these multi-year agreements as we can, because it gives you the confidence to know, oh, we're gonna, you know, this partnership is in place for the next five years. So then you can confidently look to the future and know, great, we're going to be doing these revenue producing uh, uh, projects under this agreement here through, you know, 2027. And then you go to the next partner and the next partner and you start to piece together these multi-year grants and these multi-year agreements and these multi-year investments. Uh, and you start to build a financial picture, right, of what the next one, three, five and 10 years will look like. And as, those, as you secure those, your confidence grows, your projections become more accurate. It allows you then to innovate and you, know, you, you, you get the confidence to say, okay, we know these partners are gonna be here with us. So let's try some things like let's, you know, 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, the core world came together and said, you know, we're really resilient. We're really sustainable now. Let's build a program for veterans. So a couple of our corps started the Veteran Fire Corps in which returning veterans are trained as wildland firefighters. You didn't know if it was gonna work. You didn't know what the bumps in the road were gonna be, but because you knew that you had the ability to, to experiment and try something new and it wasn't gonna break your nonprofit, wasn't gonna put you out of business, um, you know, you're able, to, you're able to, to go outside the box and lo and behold, that program became a success. Um, but fundamentally, Ethan, it is, largely about securing these multi-year investments from funders. And then I would say the second piece, which is more relevant for our cores than CYCA, uh, but it's about creating a donor database, right? It's, you know, nonprofit 101, right? It's building this, this cohort of, of, of donors that are compelled to give regularly, compelled to give annually, are invested in your success, are gratified by their giving, um, and so, you know, that's, that's the other piece of it that every nonprofit in the country is doing right now, right, is cultivating donors that will be there for the future. Thanks for sharing. I really yeah. appreciate that. I always love to know how things work. Um, also, curious about some of your favorite stories from your years working in the course. It sounds like really, really fulfilling work. On, on both ends of the spectrum that I'm interested in, connection with the natural world and deep, profound relationships with people. It seems like a really great career. It really is. Yeah, I would say um, when it comes to the people that you meet and the people that you encounter, 
you get to have a really in-depth experience with them. It's it's not too different from college, right? For 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 your audience that that was uh, that went through college and had that experience, right? You're thrown into this intensive, immersive environment that can really forge like lifelong bonds. You know, you you leave with some really deep, memorable friendships, and the core world really is is no different. Um, you know, a couple people when I think back to when I was a core member. Um, so I was a core member in, in 2002, uh, 2004, five and, and 06. Um, so, you know, just a couple quick anecdotes. Um, you know, when I was serving in 2005, uh, there was a, an Australian, a really nice Australian guy, Sam, that, um, joined our conservation corps. And as I got to know him, uh, it turned out that he was circumnavigating the globe. Uh, that this was just one of his stops uh, here in America as he was, you know, working on this like two year, two year circumnavigation of the globe. Yeah, Aussies um, do that. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And so, um, yeah, so he was uh, on a crew that was uh, based on next to mine. We got to do, we got to work together for four or five weeks uh, up in Wyoming together. And it was just amazing to, to hear his journey um, and where he was headed next. Um, it was just kind of this, this amazing magical friendship, um, and and we just what a what a crazy life story. Um, the other piece, very similar to to meeting Sam. The other sort of piece I think that that cores bring is you have the ability to meet people that have lived such a different life from yours, and that you never would have encountered. Um, in two thousand and two, I was serving with this really interesting guy named Dan, who had had this just really nomadic lifestyle. And, uh, and he was telling me that, uh, you know, he used to ride the rails that like he had crisscrossed the country, just hopping freight trains. So, you know, he would, he would be in a community for a while and he was about 20, 21, 22 years old. Um, really great young guy. This was just a service opportunity. He had a, you know, a heart of gold and he would stop and do service activities in different places he had stopped. And, uh, you know, he was he was sort of regaling us with all these stories of riding freight trains across the country and trying not to get caught. And I got to be like, to be perfectly honest, like as a 21 year old with a little bit of cynicism, I was like, man, I'm not sure, like not sure how much I'm buying into the story. Lo and behold, we're wandering through some random Colorado mountain town and he sees a young person walking across the street. We had we were there to like resupply. We weren't. We, it wasn't pre-planned to be there. This was a random circumstance. We like just stopped in this random town to, to get groceries. While we're doing this for our crew, there's this other young uh, young guy, not 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 affiliated with us, walking on the other side of the street. And Dan, I'm next to Dan, and Dan says, "I'm almost certain I rode the rails with that guy," and calls out this guy's name. Sure enough, these two know each other. They had like. <laughs> They had ridden in boxcars together, totally validated his, his, his whole life story is completely validated. Like, like before my very own eyes where these two like had like known each other and had camped out, you know, in random farmer fields together as they were like hopping on and off of trains. Um, and I'd like, that's someone who I never would have encountered, right? I never would have been able to cross paths with someone with this crazy fun life experience of having seen all of the Midwest through a freight train uh, and through service activities in small towns. Um, it was it was amazing. So Conservation Corps kind of attract a lot of hidden communities, a lot of um, you know folks on the on the fringes of common pop culture 
And it's, so it's just a great way to appreciate and love people that are different from yourself. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. People are cool. Uh, everyone has, a, like you said, everyone has different life experiences and it's so valuable uh, to be able to see something through someone else's eyes and really realize that there's, there's something else out there. It's not just me. And that's so yeah. important, especially in this individualistic nation, which is different from the rest of the world. As Americans, we really see things through our own eyes yeah. uh, in, to a certain extent. Um, last couple questions, just like more important than ever, I think, is the topic of conservation. I think we've we've destroyed the natural world so much that conservation is, is at its utmost importance. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think the most effective way is to get the average person to care more about conserving natural resources? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, what, what we're finding is that in, in order to be most effective in getting through to people and motivating, inspiring, educating people is for them to see themselves in the story, right? Like, I mean, you, you can generate a modicum of investment by explaining what it means. What do rising seas mean? What does the melting of the polar ice shelf mean? Like, right, that, that is digestible. It is understandable and it is important. But when you're talking about inspiring action, when you're talking about making the problem seem achieve, you know, uh, understandable, digestible, um, it's about finding small personal ways that, that, the, that the audience member can see themselves in the story, can understand what the effect is on them as a person, and that there are, and, and getting them to understand that there are small, meaningful steps that they can take, right? So, Macro level education is definitely important. I, want to, I don't want to be misunderstood. It is really important to explain that the melting of the polar ice shelf is catastrophic and will have these, these really important effects on the country and economy as a whole. But understandably, that is an enormous scale and it can even seem unsolvable, right? To, to, to ask the average person say, so, so if you engage in a recycling program, we'll stop the entire polar ice shelf. <laughs> shelf melting. Like that's not going to work. It, it, if, if you go too far down that macro level path, the unconsciously and then consciously, this notion of, well, we, we just can't stop something that large starts to take hold and you get the opposite effect. So what you want to do instead is explain, um, you know, how does it transition from fossil fuels? How might it, how might it lower the gap? The, the price of gasoline and the price of transportation in the future, right? How, how will your, how will your food bill, your gas bill, your income be affected when we start to move uh, out of a fossil fuel based transportation infrastructure, gas bill, et cetera, you know, into hybrid vehicles, into electric vehicles, into self-driving uh, uh, trains and all of those kinds of aspects. So it's about finding it's about making sure that, that, that people see themselves in the fabric of that story so that these problems feel, so that climate change becomes, here is a series of small challenges community by community that we can solve together as opposed to strictly this NASA level, right? Like moonshot, you know, uh, 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 Apollo mission level undertaking, um, you know, that that is 
almost too large for America or humanity, right? You need to break that down and sort of uh, meet people where they're at, which is I'm trying to afford vacations. I'm trying to afford, I'm trying to afford um, food for my family. I'm trying to afford a car. I'm trying to afford housing. These are the concerns right in front of my nose. So yes, I would love to go buy a house with a solar panel and a hybrid vehicle, but it's never going to happen. So I'm not part of a solution. That's the mm -hmm. opposite effect. We want to break it down and say, okay, start with a small recycling program in your household. That's it. Like try to, you know, try to use reusable materials, try to use glassware instead of plasticware for your leftovers and just start at these small scales. Cause it really does make a difference. And you just start to build up where people say, oh, I'm making a positive contribution. It is in a way that's not over challenging me because I don't have the, the resources or capacity to, to do more about welcoming them in. So, you know, it's you have to find people where they're at as opposed to like starting from the top down. Scott, you're such a great speaker, man. I, I want to like ask you these complex questions and then just like write down what you say so I know how to like communicate it so everyone can <laughs> understand. This has been uh, this has been really fun. And I, I always love to ask people at the end, what advice do they have for young people who are passionate about these kind of issues, conserving the natural world, regenerating stuff that we've lost? What like specific advice would you give to someone? Yeah, boy, uh, I the first I don't know if it's advice, but the first thing that I would tell to a really passionate young person is you, about, about conservation issues, about climate change, about equity and, and, and environmental justice. Um, you have arrived at the right time, right? Like this is, um, you know, I'm dating myself as a 41 year old, but like this is, this is as if you chose to study uh, computer science and computer information technology in like 1999. Right, like you, like you are arriving at the scene um, when it is still uh, uh, more possible than ever to join the movement. M you know, the employment opportunities, the service opportunities are growing at a rapid pace. Um, so to be young, to be mobile, to be hungry, to be passionate in, in these issues, this is the exact right time in history. Like you get to be part of the first chapter of the main story that we're gonna tell over the next hundred years. Uh, the other piece of advice I would say, uh, particularly in career development, is to not limit yourself to the most romantic notions of employment, right? One thing we find with our core members is they come into the Conservation Corps and they have a really transformative experience and they leave with the idea of, okay, that was amazing. So now I want to go work for Rocky Mountain National Park right now or I wanna go work for this, the most beautiful forest service district in the country, you know, here in Colorado right now. And so they begin to, they don't realize they're doing it. It comes from a good place, but they're limiting themselves because one, it's a journey to get to many of those. For most people, it's a journey to get to those most coveted, most, uh, uh, you know, sort of epic experiences. And they also, uh, you know, just of no fault of their own, don't realize, that there is amazing employment opportunities at the federal level, the state level, the local level, the nonprofit level. Um, so my main advice would be don't limit yourself. Um, when, if you take a step back from sort of the romantic vision you may have and say, okay, that it's okay to keep that as your ultimate goal. In no way am I discouraging anyone from dreaming big, 
dream to become the secretary of the interior, dream to run Rocky Mountain National Park one day, dream to go, you know, be the forest service ranger for the, you know, the, a national forest in Alaska. Absolutely. But be, but, but be open-minded on the, on the, on the fun winding journey there, right? Go work for Jefferson County open space, go work for Boulder County parks and recreation, you know, go work for uh, a, a city of Grand Junction, uh, you know, public works and build that resume, build your experience, you know, build that house brick by brick over time. Um, that's probably the the strongest advice that I would give someone just because we, we live in an image driven world, right? If you go on Instagram, if you go on social media, you know, you're going to see the Tetons, you're going to see the Grand Canyon and you're going to think that's the, that's the definition of success. And if I don't have that within three years, what am I doing? That's a unintentionally toxic, uh, um, um, uh, unhelpful mindset. You're, you're, you, you, the young people who, who, who understandably fall into that, that sort of linear thinking, um, you know, from, from the inputs that they're getting, really end up with an unachievable bar of success. It's like literally not how the industry works, right? You just, you know, even a massive park like Rocky Mountain National Park probably hires like 100 seasonals a summer out of 50,000 people that would love to do that. So it is achievable but you have to take that winding path there, right? You have to build your experience, build your network, you know, put yourself in a position to be successful, work hard, work hard and work hard. And then you absolutely will wind up somewhere that will inspire you. But I would say patience, perseverance um, and open-mindedness are critical to really having a strong voice in the conservation world. I think that's really wise, man. And I think what a lot of people in that mindset, like you said, it's kind of conditioned into us don't realize is that first off, the journey is the destination. It's it's fun to to toil and struggle and continue to grow. But also that gives more meaning when you reach your goals. So it's better to have the long road when if you just get something, it, the the joy of buying the new car will disappear after a couple of weeks. Whereas if you've worked for 10 years grinding to get to this one opportunity that you've always been looking at, become the first female president or whatever it may be, like it's so much more worth it. And speaking of worth it, this has been a true joy, Scott. I'm so glad Excellent. I reached out to you, man. I really, it was, this was great. And, and just thank you so much for joining me. I love the whole conversation every way, moment through. Oh, this was amazing. Yeah, Ethan, you're doing such great work. You're building a library of, of really amazing episodes. And uh, I, I, I hope uh, nothing but the best for you. And, and this, uh, yeah, this, uh, your, your, your podcast and your show is going to stay on this upward trajectory. It's really fantastic. Much appreciated, Scott. All right, everybody. And of course, we will see you on the next episode. Y'all have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate. Here at Climate Change Realty, we don't just donate 50% of our net commissions to fight climate change. We also donate a full 50% of our real estate referrals. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.